0: All right, Um, we're going to be in Psalm 25 tonight. Um, So as you turn to that, let me pray for us. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord God, we ask that your spirit would open our eyes to see it, open our ears to hear it. God, make Jesus more beautiful and more believable to us tonight, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever had the realization that you're not where you planned on being? Maybe it was a missed turn that you didn't know you missed until you are down the road a bit, and things aren't looking quite right. Maybe it's a behavior that you never consciously intended on pursuing, but somehow you find yourself in the middle of it saying, how did I get here? These are things that we could think of as drift, the slow pull-away the slight swaying of things that were once not important. Other times, we don't even drift. We just know we're going off the rails and we don't have it within us to slow down and keep the train from derailing. In our passage for this evening, we're going to look at Psalm 25, 5, and we're going to answer some questions that can help keep us from both the drift and the train wreck. The first seven verses of Psalm 25 are a prayer of David. I'm going to read them for us to get the context, and then we'll focus on verse 5. Psalm 25, 1 through 7. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me known, known your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, your st- and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. So verse 5 Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. So, verse 5 is a prayer for spiritual guidance. In the days before GPS, it was much easier to get twisted around on directions and feel hopelessly lost than it is now. Your options were to stop and ask someone, or my personal favorite, keep driving around until something's familiar and you're able to make your way along to your destination. But this prayer is an example of the godly discipline of stopping and asking for directions instead of trying to make sense of it yourself. It begs us to ask the first of our four guiding questions that are going to guide our study tonight. So, question one What causes us to lose our spiritual direction? From the context of the psalm, I see two reasons that we lose our direction and need to be led. The first of these is that we have enemies. Look at verses two and three. Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. As we learned last week in our study of John, Jesus was clear in teaching that the they... Okay, as we learned last week in our study of John... Jesus was clear in teaching that if, they, if the world hated him, they will hate us as well. Opposition to the truth of Jesus and the Bible is all around us. We should expect pushback. We should expect pushback. We should expect even anger when our worldview collides with those of our unbelieving friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers. How should we respond when that pushback happens? Well, as we talked in Sunday school, we should be ready to gently and respectfully make defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope within us. But from the context of the psalm, what are we to do? Trust in God. Even though it might seem cliche or too simple, trust in God, cling to his promises, believe what he says. Let his word be a lamp to your feet, light to your path, and your way will be sure, despite opposition, despite enemies. A second reason from the text that we lose our direction and need to be led is our own sin. So verses 7 and 8. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. When we're being led, there's movement. We're going somewhere. There's a destination. Jesus, the Blessed One of Psalm 1, calls us through our union with him to walk not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the seat of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. You see the slowing down from the movement of being led to a destination? Walk. Then stand. Finally, sit. And that's different from Paul's encouragement to us to run the race with endurance. Believer, resolve to fight against sin and its desire to keep you from following Christ. Romans 6 4 reminds you that you are baptized into his death and raised to walk in newness of life. Look to Jesus, your brother, your captain, your king the one who has crushed the serpent's head to break your bondage to sin. You're no longer a slave to sin, and instead of being a prisoner of war, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Heed the advice of Jonathan Edwards in his resolution number 56, resolved never to give over nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions. however however unsuccessful I may be. Resolve to fight. Even when you lose the fight, resolve to keep fighting. Jesus' yoke is easy. His burden is light. As you strive to follow Christ and learn what it means to find your rest in him, you'll find that he changes your affections. You'll look back. You'll see that you have more joy. You have more contentment more satisfaction in him than you did in your sin. Your sin will lose much of its power to cause you to lose your way. So a second guiding question arising from the text. How are we led and taught? Verse 5 starts by saying, Lead me in your truth and teach me. As we've learned in our morning study of John, it's the Spirit who testifies of Jesus and glorifies him. And the Spirit will guide us into all truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Spirit guides us to him. 2 Peter 1.21 tells us, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In context, Peter's attesting to the scripture being breathed out by God and making known the power and coming of Jesus. It's the same scripture that's profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, with the result of our being, com- being complete and being equipped for good works. 2 Timothy 3. Believer, there's no big secret here, no special steps. Do you want to be led in truth? Get to know the book. Be like Christian and faithful in Pilgrim's Progress. Refuse to buy the distractions of the world, saying instead, we buy the truth. Read, study the Bible. The Spirit of God will use the Word of God to bring you to the Son of God. And it's the Son that will keep you from walking, from standing or sitting with the wicked the sinners, and the scoffers. A third guiding question. Where are we being led? Our verse states that you are the God of my salvation. If you are one that counts the Father's election, the Son's atonement, and the Spirit's working as the grounds for your eternal hope, you like Christian and Pilgrim's progress, are being led to the delectable mountains and onward to the celestial city, to the new Jerusalem, where God dwells with man and is with us as our God, where every tear is wiped away, where there's no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. Is this triune God the one that saves and he will continue to teach us his ways and make us more like Jesus. Romans 8, 28, 29 and 30 say, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Christian, This, the glorification we are assured of at the end of our being led to the celestial city, is the ultimate working of all things together for our good. All of this is the working of the God of our salvation. We are not privy to his thoughts, yet we do hear when he calls. Unbeliever, hear, listen, heed the call, respond in repentance with faith, and begin your journey to the new Jerusalem. In Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul instructs us to set our minds on things above, not things on the earth. He is telling us we should meditate on the gospel as if we're holding a multifaceted jewel. Turn it slowly. See its many sides as they catch the light. John Calvin puts it this way, and I quote, We who claim to have a personal religion must call to mind that this present life will not last and will soon be over. We should spend it thinking about immortality. Now, eternal and immortal life can be found nowhere except in God. It follows that the man, the main care and concern for our life should be to seek God. We should long for him with all the affection of our hearts and not find rest and peace anywhere except in him alone. End of quote. Our final guiding question, then, is what are we to do? The answer from the text is to wait on God all the day long. Despite being impatient people, we're often okay with waiting if the thing we're waiting for seems to be worth it. When we know the food is going to be great, we're okay putting our name in at a restaurant and sitting around waiting for the buzzer to light up and start buzzing. The biblical waiting we're called for It's not like this, though. It's not passive. Instead, it's demonstrated by active dependence upon and obedience to God. In a sense, it's a spiritual discipline we should seek to practice in our lives. Spurgeon describes it this way. It's our duty and privilege to wait upon the Lord in service, in worship, in in expectancy, and trust all the days of our lives. We don't just kick back, let things go on around us. We're active as we wait. So, as we're being led by the truth, we wait. Despite our enemies, we wait. Despite our sin, we wait. If the day is a long day, we wait. If the day is a dark day, full of sadness, we wait. If all the day is bright, we wait. And we praise God for a place of rest where we can gain strength and refreshment on our journey. Resolve to be like the psalmist of Psalm 130. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. and In his word, I hope. My hope waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Guard yourself from losing your, your, your way by drift or by train wreck. Beware of enemies. Fight your sin. Get to know the truth. Keep looking forward to your destination. Actively wait. And one last thing as I bring this to a close. I said earlier that these first seven verses of the psalm are a prayer. They're not a statement of things we're doing or what we're demanding out of God. It's in the Lord that we're putting our trust and our hope. It's in the Lord that we're led. It's the Lord that we submit to, that we learn from and we receive forgiveness from and grace. He is our God. He is our Savior. Pray these things back to him as we wait. Let's pray. God, it's you who, gra- get who, God, it's you who guides us and gives us light for our path through your word. We hope in you, the giver of grace and mercy, We ask for your guidance in our lives despite all our doubts and uncertainties. Give us wisdom. Save us from bad choices. Keep us from stumbling. Give us strength to wait upon you well. Lead us home through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.